Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen, amen. Praise God. The title of our message this morning is Priorities. And if you're here with us last week, we talked about doing a self-examination to kind of find out where you're at spiritually and that you're living your life the way that God wants you to live your life. And so we're going to kind of continue along that line, but it's called Priorities. I'm going to begin by sharing with you an illustration that an instructor used at a time management seminar. And what he did was he stood behind his desk and he had this wide mouth jar. And he put that jar on his desk. He had a bunch of uh, uh, people attending the seminar. And he pulled out a bag of rocks from behind the desk and he set it on the table on the top of the desk. And he began to fill the jar with these rocks. And the rocks were about a fist size rocks. And so he filled it up to the top, wide mouth. And then he asked the people that were there, is the jar full? And they shouted out, yes, the jar is full. He said, no, you're wrong. It's not full. He proceeded to pull out from under his desk gravel. And he poured the gravel to fill the gaps between the big rocks. And once he filled as much as he possibly could as he was shaking uh, the jar, he asked again, is it full? And of course, they didn't want to be tricked a second time, so they said no. He said, you're right, you're catching on. So he got a bag of sand. He pulled it out and poured it as much as he possibly could to fill in the gaps between whatever was left there to fill in. He said again, is it full? And they said again, no. He said, you're right again. He got a pitcher of water, and he poured the water into the jar until it was filled up to the top. Now the quiz was this. What was the point of the illustration? And one fellow just immediately blurted out, there's always gaps, and if we work at it, we can fill our life with more things or with more. He said, no, you're wrong. That's not it. No, the point of the illustration is this. If I hadn't put in the big rocks first, I would have never gotten them in. It's about priorities. It's about first things first. You, so you see, when it comes to even time management, there's so many things we can do in this life. We can get so caught up and spread ourselves so thin and doing all kinds of different things. If we don't put first things first and prioritize our lives, then things that are of major importance can be left out. So I'm going to talk about big rocks this morning. Is that okay? Can we talk about big rocks? Priorities? Priority number one is our priority to God. And what does that mean? It means loving Him. It means serving Him. It means following His plan for our lives. That's what it means. And did you know over a period of time, even though you've been a Christian maybe for 10, 15, 20 years, that it's very easy to fall into this place of being lukewarm as a Christian? Have you ever noticed that? Anybody ever noticed that? Sure, it's easy for anyone and everyone to get lukewarm along the way. What did Jesus say about being lukewarm? I'll vomit you out of my mouth. That doesn't sound good, does it? Not at all. No, he says, I'd rather you be cold or hot, but not lukewarm. And so we've got to protect ourselves and safeguard ourselves from becoming lukewarm as believers. 
Well, how do we get on fire? God wants us to be on fire. God wants us to be consumed with this fire. We're told in scripture to serve God fervently in spirit. In other words, the word fervent there actually means hot, heated or to the boiling point, to the boiling point. Are you on fire this morning? Are you to the boiling point this morning? You say, but how do I get there? How do I do that in my life? Well, let me give you another quick, easy illustration before we look at some of the scriptures that support God is first. Anybody have a teapot in your house? Mm-hmm. Does yours have a whistle? Ours has a whistle too. And did you know you can put cold water in it and set it on the hot stove? And if you walk away, five seconds, when you walk away in five seconds, it's not boiling, is it? What's the secret to get it to start boiling? Keep it on long enough. You could actually put it on, walk away, sit down for a while and forget you even put it on. Until you hear what? The whistle. And once it starts whistling, what do you know? Oh, it's boiling. You know what we did this morning? We were sitting on the stove. Sit there long enough. Stay there long enough. You're going to start boiling over. I'm getting there right now. I know about you. I'm starting to bubble on the inside. What about you? See, there's no secret to it. Just, it's very simple. Stay connected. Stay there in the presence of God. Worship Him. Stay in His presence. Stay connected. Stay powered by the Holy Spirit. And eventually we'll get to the point where we're boiling over with fervent heat, serving the Lord our God. So God wants us to be on fire serving Him. But just to show you some scriptures, look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 30. Notice God first. This is the big rock, the biggest rock we'll ever have on our jars of clay. You know, we're called jars of clay. We have the glory of God in this jar of clay, just like that jar we're talking about. The first big rock to put in, it's found right here. God first. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. What's he saying? With all the energies of our being, we are to love our heavenly father. Just to love on him. From the rising of the sun to the going down to the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And to give him a heart's devotion, just love on him and bless him every day of our lives. Secondly, look at Exodus chapter 20. And here we know that when he established the Ten Commandments, the first four involve our relationship with him and to him. The last six involve our relationship socially with other people, starting with our parents. But here he says, and God spake these words, All these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods. Nothing, nothing is to be before him. Think about that. Nothing at all is to be before him. And then look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 37. Not only nothing is to be before him, no one is to be before him. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes up not his cross, notice this, and follows after me is not worthy of me. Wow. Is that powerful? Coming from Jesus. Look, no other relationship 
is more important than that relationship he is saying. That's the number one relationship, the big rock, you can say, in our jar of clay. And then the next one, Matthew 6.33, and this is for all of us. Seek ye first, not second, not third, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What's he talking about? He's talking about the things you eat, drink, you wear, what you put on, your clothes. In other words, it's more important than the necessities of life. But if we will commit to seeking him and his kingdom and its operation and his righteousness to walk in his righteousness, then he said all the necessities of life will be added to us. And so people struggle today trying to do what? Put those things first and they fail to realize it's backwards. You put God first and those things will fall into place, right? Then finally, look at the next one in the book of uh, Philippians chapter 2. Wherefore, my beloved... As you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Notice this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we're not going to get into all the details of what it means to, to serve God and put God first right now. We're just talking about the first rock is to love him. And we're all to work out our own salvation. How? With reverence and trembling before the living God. So in other words, we want to reignite within every single one of us this understanding that we all have the need to put God first. Can we see that? Isn't that what the scriptures teach? Is that what Jesus talked about? So priority number one is God, to put him first. And there is nothing more important than your salvation or my salvation. Our eternal destination is key. It's the most important thing that we could ever, ever achieve in this realm of of living. Because you see, it affects us for eternity. So put God first. Number two, second rock that we're going to put in this jar is our spouse and our relationship to our spouse. That's number two on God's list of priorities. Now, we go back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis and we can see some things here. In Genesis chapter two, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Now, Adam was already created. Adam had a relationship with who? The living God. Absolutely. God was aware of it. He needed a helpmate suitable for him. So go on down to verse 21. He didn't want him to be alone. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And, and he slept. He performed the first surgical procedure. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a game system. Xbox 360. A football. A baseball. A basketball. A fishing pole. A golf club. Uh, I wouldn't dare touch the women. They're not even made yet, so. <laughs> a cell phone. <laughs> no? What did he make? Oh, he brought her, he made a woman and brought her unto him, uh, the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And for this cause, we're told in Ephesians, shall a man leave to cleave to become one. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In other words, womb man, woman taken out of the womb of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother 
and shall cleave unto his game system, and they shall be one flesh. Cleave to his what? Okay, let's look at that in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6, or chapter 5, I'm sorry. And look what it says here in verses 31 through 33. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. Apparently, Jesus conveyed that to, to Paul who wrote this. And he shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So, see, the second priority, and, and I'm giving these priorities straight from the Bible, because number one, first of all, was God made man, and man had a personal relationship with God. And then God didn't want him to be alone, so he brought forth a woman from man, out of man, and you know, he did that intentionally. He did that on purpose. This is by design. It wasn't a mistake. He knew what he was doing. So he took the rib and he took half his brain. Because men are left brain functional and women are right brain functional. And it takes two to come together to make a full brain. That's what he did. And so he kind of said, look, you know, your man is now basically divided he did it on purpose. The genders are male and female. And why? So that it could become one. That was the ultimate goal of this marital relationship. Also, to serve the Lord together. And this is the beauty of it. You talk about serving the Lord together as husband and wife. There's nothing more powerful than two people coming into a marital covenant relationship and serving God together as husband and wife. Why? Because if one can chase a thousand, two can put ten thousand to flight. So when these two people are serving the Lord together and honoring his word and living their life, in a hot, heated, fervent spirit, then it creates a 10 times greater force that the enemy cannot penetrate whatsoever. So notice, no one else is still in existence. It's just God, Adam, and Eve. And they're instructed to do what? He's to leave. You know what that word leave means in the Hebrew? Sever or even change or alter all other relationships for the purpose of establishing Unity in this one, closeness in this one, or oneness in this one. Leave, cleave. We would say weld yourself, glue yourself together. It's like that white. If you ever see anybody do some welding and you can see how white and how bright that is, they've got to have a cover over their face to protect their eyes from the brightness of, of, of that light. They're to cleave, glue themselves together like a welding, like a welder would weld something together. And the ultimate aim and goal is to what? Become one. So you could say that when they come together, God knew, Adam knew that we're going to be, you know, we come together, but we've got two different what? Backgrounds, two different families that we come from, two different um, genders, obviously, but also we've got two different personalities and family histories and all that. And so we're here and we say, I do. And it's basically because we love each other and so on. But even though we say, I do, we come together. We're still out here when it comes to functioning because men don't think like women do and women don't think like men do, Right. And if you have any problem with that, men, just pick up that book at Walmart. You can pick up, it says, what men know about women. And it costs you 75 cents, but there's not a word in the book. Not a word in the book. Someone made a lot of money on nothing. You know that? And there's not one word in the book. Page, every page is blank. What men know about women, nothing. I'm never going the other way. But anyhow, you start out here. And the goal 
is not to create more distance in a relationship, but to create oneness and closeness in the relationship. So as the years go by, we're supposed to get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. But sad to see that in our society today that that doesn't happen. It seems like they get further and further and further and further and further apart. Can you see that? So it's important to know that when two people come together as one and they have a desire to serve God faithfully and walk with him in such a way so as to please him and honor him in their marriage, they create this 10 times greater force that the enemy cannot penetrate or get into to bring destruction into their lives. So understanding that and knowing that, what do you think the enemy is going to try to do? Undermine the marital relationship. Because if he can undermine the marital relationship, then he can get to the whole family. And so he's going to do that. So it's up to us to recognize this and to realize this and give him no entry points in our lives to see to it that we keep him out. That's exactly what the Lord said to them for them to do. Keep out the evil. Keep out anything that's evil on the outside. Don't let it come on the inside. Keep it away. Okay, so quickly, number three. So number three now becomes family or our children in aging parents. Our children are third on God's list of priority. And you can see this in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and in the chapter 6. Because after he talked about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives. He talked about children obeying their parents in the Lord for this is right. But notice here in uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 127 and verse 3 through 5. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord. In other words, children belong to God. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the, of the youth. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So what he's telling us is that children belong to God. And also, understanding that means what that comes responsibility. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's responsibility that we all have as parents. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy, our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day. Notice after he says you love me first and after this you love me this. He says here's what you do. You should teach them to your children diligently. And shall talk about them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way. When you lie down. When you rise up. And then go on down to verse I think it's 21 or 20. And when thy son asks thee in time to come. In other words when he begins to grow up and starts questioning you as to why we're doing this all the time. What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say to your son, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt or slaves. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Notice, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. So notice the trickle down, the, the flow of divine power. You've got a mighty God. You've got a, a man who serves the Lord. He gets married and he and his wife serve the Lord together. And there's a, a divine flow of power from the presence of the living God into the man's life, into the wife's life, and then become parents, father and mother. And it flows into the children's lives. And you might say, well, we weren't, we weren't bombing in Egypt. No, but you were bound in darkness. <clears throat> Satan was ruler over your life, my life. But thanks be unto God, we're no longer. He brought us out. He brought us out. And we're to teach our children 
that because he brought us out, we're to serve him. They need to hear that. They need to know that. They need to see that lived out by precept and example. And so it's up to us as parents to do what? Invest in their lives. Look in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning at verse 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. Which is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? That it might be well with you. Just stop right there just for a moment. That it might be well with you. Anybody want a well day? And that you might live long on the earth. Anyone want to live long on the earth? If we want well days, and if we want to live long on the earth, then honor your father and your mother. But remember, your father and your mother are serving God faithfully together. Your mother and your father are on fire for God, serving God, walking with God, honoring him, submitting to him, submitting then to one another. And now they're instructing you in the ways of God. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In other words, don't become overbearing in their lives and don't drive them away from the things of God. But be a shining light, be an example. You know, parents are to set an example by precept, but also by the life that they model, the life that we live. And when they see the things we do, you know as well as I do, they're going to do what we do more than what we say. And when they see us serving God, walking with God, honoring God, you know, be honest with you, I don't want to just sneak in the kingdom. Do you want to just sneak in under the door somewhere? No. We should all want to live a life that's exemplary. We want to show the love of God, the life that Christ has given us. And we want to model that to our children and be examples of that so they can see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, because it spills over to even our aging parents. If you recall this, when Jesus was teaching the scribes and Pharisees, calling them hypocrites, because they were violating the word of God and not honoring their parents. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother who curses, notice this, father or mother, let him die to death. Oh my. Can you imagine if any of these things were ever carried out to full extent? Wow. But you say, if a man shall say or to his father or mother that it's Corban, that is to say a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered and many such things do ye. What's he talking about? Well, what they did was they found a way to get around the word of God and the instruction that God gave them to provide for their aging parents. And they would take their inheritance or the things that they had, whatever resources that they had, and they would designate them to go to the temple. And then once they did that, they were no longer able to designate them to go to their parents. But obviously they were also allowed to use them then afterwards for themselves. And so their parents were left out in the cold. They weren't providing for their parents whatsoever as they aged. And Jesus, you think he didn't take notice of that? Jesus took very much notice of that and said, you're wrong. You are violating the word of God. You're making the word of God of none effect by your traditions. You're you're teaching them not to take care of their aging parents when they're in need. And he was upset with them, called them hypocrites for for not honoring his word. So now we got a relationship with God, a relationship with our spouse, caring for our children. That's the third rock that goes in and aging parents. What's the fourth one? Now we have our work priority. Because if you go to Ephesians chapter six, once again, which we're going to see right here, he then, after he talks about children and rearing them up, he talks about working. 
Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And you masters or employers, do good, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So the next priority is the way we conduct ourselves in the workplace. It's important to realize that people are looking at us and they're watching us and we're telling them we're Christians and we believe God. And it's one thing to say that verbally, but it's another thing to play that out and live it out in real life. We're to be an example as if we're working for Christ or living for Christ, serving Christ in that workplace so that others can see the life of God in us by our precept, by our example, more than anything, by our example. In the workplace, we shouldn't be preaching as much as we are modeling. You realize that we model this. And so they see us and they wonder why. You're not like the other people are there in the workplace. Trust me. When I worked in the, in the mill, trust me, didn't take much light in that place. It's so dark. People talking about their spouses terribly, about their wives terribly and all that sort of thing. You know, and they see that you're different. Of course, you get criticized. Yes, people laugh at you. You don't go and look at their girly books and all the things that they have in their, in their little places and all that. You know, I, I'd go to work. I worked up in a mill crane 30 feet up and they have all these Playboy magazines and all this stuff up there. And I bring my Bible. I set my Bible up there, put the rest underneath. And, you know, of course, one day I got rid of them all. That didn't that didn't go over too well. I put them in the garbage and <laughs> they were too happy, but that's OK. You know, well, we need an example, be an example, be a model. And that's what he's saying here in the workplace. You're working for Jesus. You see, it's Christianity is not just coming to church once a week. It's every day living our lives to please the living God. And these are the order of priorities. Now, look at some other verses. First Timothy chapter five. If any man provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Can you imagine that? You're denying the faith if you're not providing for your own family. That's what the scriptures teach, right? That's why this is a priority. Look at the next verse. For even when you were with, we were with you, this we commanded you, notice it's a command, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. There are consequences. Don't work, don't eat. These are biblical principles. A man should work to provide for his own so he can eat. And his family can be provided for so that becomes our fourth priority now next one our fifth rock in our jar of clay is the church and some might think well i thought that goes with god no god man's relationship with god was before the church was ever here was it not sure one-on-one -on -one with god in the very beginning it was also not here when Eve came forth, right? Not at all. There was no church. And God told man he's going to work by the sweat of his brow. Did he not? Absolutely. So work is a priority. Look at the next one. This is the church. Notice in. Uh, you can turn to Exodus. Look at chapter 20, verse 8. It starts way back here. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Now, Jesus is our Sabbath, and we're not going to get into any lengthy discussion about the Sabbath day, but Jesus is our Sabbath. The Sabbath has been fulfilled in Jesus. All these people that feel we should be going to church on Saturday to fulfill the Sabbath and all that, there's not time to get into it, but Jesus is our Sabbath. That means any single day that you want to set apart to serve God, that's your Sabbath. He is your Sabbath. You can, doesn't matter. We, we worship on a Sunday because that was the first day of the week when Jesus was raised up from the dead. Let's leave it at that. And that's why we do it. And plus, we're not going back on uh, Old Testament law. That's already been fulfilled. And he is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Sabbath, he said, right? So our Sabbath is a day of rest. Well, we're, our rest is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let's just suffice it to say that. Look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Can we say we see the day approaching? Is it ever getting closer and closer to the return of our Lord? We know that it is. And all the signs are out there. All the signs are are, are just basically pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Well, when we see that, all the more we should gather together. But for some reason, it seems like today in our society, that's not the case, that many would rather not come together. But I believe that God has given us this mandate to come together for a purpose and for a reason. Now, for some, it just means church attendance and maybe financial support to carry out the work of God. But to others, it could have some different meaning. Because you see, as long as the church exists, there's going to be a need for teachers, volunteers, nursery workers, musicians, singers, ushers, and the list goes on and on, evangelistic outreach workers. The list goes on and on, all the different individuals it take to make a, a, a church run and function the way it should. But it does become a priority. But it doesn't come as a priority above your family, above your relationship with your wife and your children. And they're actually all interwoven together, if you can understand that. I remember when I first got saved, you know what? Here's the key. To really fulfilling all these priorities. Here's the key. Stay on top of the stove. And stay boiling in your relationship with God. Because when I first got saved. I went from cold to hot. And I was so hot heated in love. Fervently serving the Lord my God. I'm telling you. You couldn't keep me out of church. You can keep me from studying the word of God. Developing a relationship with God. Bringing that into my family. And then going to church and making certain I was at church. I would go to church. If I, I worked in the mill, I worked the three shifts. And it, if, if I was on the night shift, I would go to church. And trust me, not like it is today. When we went on, a, it was a Thursday night was where I went to church on the Thursday night. Not, midweek service wasn't Wednesday, but it was Thursday. And you stayed there. It didn't matter how long you stayed there. You stayed there. You could stay there up till start at 7 o'clock. You could be done at maybe 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. You know, and I had to be, I had to be at the mill by 10 o'clock at night. I brought my clothes with me. Sometimes I would just change right there in the church's bathroom and then go off to work. Because why? Not someone telling me to do that? Absolutely not. I'm just talking about fervent, hot, heated, serving God, just loving God, just wanting to pour myself out, to give myself as, an, as a sacrifice and offering to the Lord, just to live, use me as you want to use me. And, and seemingly, for whatever reason, that's changed in people's hearts and minds. So we've got so many things vying for our attention. And we know that. I don't know how you feel about this, but even when... When my kids growing up, even today, why they schedule all these things on Sunday? They schedule so many things. It seems like they're all on Wednesday night or Sunday morning. And it's, it's like I'm saying go back to the blue law where, you know, you just don't do that. 
uh, out of reverence for God. But once again, stay hot-heated. I know I skipped over 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but you can read that for yourself. But all it basically says is that, look, we need one another. We need one another. We all have a part to play. We all have a gift to give. As a good steward of the manifold grace of God, we are told to use our gift to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth and invest in the lives of people. You need me and I need you. We need each other to work together. I, the, the head can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. He, Jesus is the head. And whoever's the foot doesn't matter. He can't say, I don't need you. He needs you. Our sixth priority is our country. And boy, does it need it. Can you say amen to that? Wow. Do we need it in our country? Um, Look at Romans 13 real quickly. We'll go through some of these and then we'll conclude with a thought. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Is there any exception there? For there is no authority except that which God has given or established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Next time we think about talking bad about those in political offices of authority, think about that statement. Bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. So what's the point here? Well, every single one of us is responsible to pray for our nation and its success so that God will be glorified within this country, within our nation, so that he can have his way and his will can be done. You know, the United States of America is probably responsible for more than 75, if not more, to 80 to 90 percent of world evangelism. Do you realize that? You realize how that sits in the heart of God, in the mind of God? That we as a nation have promoted world evangelism and that we're out there evangelizing the world like no other nation has ever done. And so as far as he is concerned, that's important to him. So important to him. Because there's nothing more important than the soul of a man and his salvation. And so he's established governments for that reason. Look at the Psalm 33 and verse 12. These are just some of the, ver- some of the statements made. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he had chosen for his inheritance. Thank God. I believe that God raised up this nation. If anything, to defend Israel. Can I get an amen for that? If anything, to defend Israel. But he's raised up this nation. Look at Proverbs 14. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Oh, if we want this nation to be exalted, then we've got to stand for righteousness. Look at the next one, 1 Timothy 2. And here's our responsibility. This is why it's a rock, one of those rocks in the jar of clay that we live in. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, and that for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
So this is the will of God, that we as the people of God make it a priority in our lives that we're going to continue to lift up our government before the throne of God. Look, it's not a matter of, of any kind of um, party. It's not going to be a Democratic Party, a Republican Party. You know what it's all about? We should get rid of that from our thinking. It should be about, God, we want it to be your party. We want it to be your nation. We want to serve you in this nation. We want righteousness to prevail in this nation. And stop criticizing those that are in positions of leadership and just glorify God and thank God. Now, before I conclude with this, what can you do if someone wants to walk in here with high-powered equipment and bust through the doors? We can set up security guards. We can set up all kinds of things. We can do our best in the natural, I'm saying, to try to prevent things like that from happening. There is nothing more important than to know that God has made provision for our safety and protection. Psalm 91 says, if we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, His angels will have charge over us to keep us safe. I want to give you this testimony before I close as well. And I'm saying that because what's more important is than putting up security guards and locking doors and all that. We can do that but did you notice the places where these things happened? It didn't matter if the doors were locked or not. They just blew them apart. I, I mean, is this true? Absolutely. How many security guards were there at the Boston Marathon? How many, uh, let's say, arrangements were made for protection over at Virginia Tech University or other colleges? We need to believe that God will defend us and God will protect us. Brother Terry Mize was traveling <clears throat> as a missionary. And he was, picked, he picked up a hitchhiker along the way in this particular nation that he was in. And when they, when they picked him up, after they were driving down the road, he was saying, I want you to take me home. He said, okay, no problem. The guy pulled out a gun, put it to his temple of his head. He said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm going to rob you, probably leave you for dead. Really? And Terry Mai said, uh, you can't. He said, what? You can't. What do you mean I can't? Did you read about the other missionary that was killed just the other day? It was like, like a week or two ago. Yeah, I read about that. I did it. And you're next. He said, I don't know what that person believed. But you can't do that to me. This guy's getting furious. What do you mean I can't do that to you? He says, I'm protected by the hand of God. The greater one lives in me, and no weapon formed against me can prosper. His hands upon me for good, not for evil. He just began quoting scripture to him. He finally says, pull over to the side of the road. He says, okay. Pull over to the side of the road. Take off your watch, your jewelry, and all that. Give me all that stuff. He says, you can't rob me. He says, I'm not going to rob you only. I'm going to kill you. He says, you can't rob me, and you can't kill me. My pathway is life, and there is no death. I'm going to do it the word. You can't do it. He says, I had enough of you. And he began to unload his gun. Every bullet hit an unseen invisible shield went straight down to the ground he actually saw the shells right there in front of him he just saw and he needless to say was stunned and brother Jeremiah said told you you can't kill me <laughs> and you can't rob me either so give me my stuff back I mean the guy's just flabbergasted with his mouth hung open and just he gave him all his stuff back 
And this the part of testimony I think is just so hysterical. He said, well, get in the car. I'll take you where you want to go now. Let's go. <laughs> Imagine that. See, it's one thing to have it up here. It's another thing to have it down here. That's the difference between the one who has reality and the one who has only a sense knowledge, intellectual understanding of it. And we all should be striving for this heart knowledge and reality of our redemptive rights. How do I get it? Get on the stove. Put on the burner. I know the water's cool for a while, but just let it, give it some time. Time. Eventually, you'll be whistling. Oh, you'll be whistling. What's going on with you? You're just be whistling around the house. What's going on? I'm just on fire. I'm just bubbling over. I'm just to the boiling point serving God. So what's the conclusion of all this? There are priorities. There are big rocks that are important. And listen, if he didn't put those big rocks in first, there would have been no room for those big rocks at the end. Once you fill it up with sand, you can't put any big rocks in there. So there are many things that are out there in the world today can, that really you can say identify as sand or even gravel. You can't put the big rocks in. But if we put the big rocks in first, if we put God first, if we put our spouse second, we put our children and aging parents third. Can you see that? Then work fourth. And the church, and when it comes to the church and serving God in the church, we're going to talk more about that. You know why? Because people think, well, I can just go to church by watching on TV. You can watch TV all you want, but you're still not in church. This is church. Because the church is a collection of people. It's where I can look at you and say, I know you. And I know what you're going through. And I know what you're feeling right now. And I'm here for you. And I want to pray with you. I want to be there for you. And if I got a gift to give to you, I want to give that gift to you. You see, it's not just watching TV and learning some things that way. Besides all this, you've got something special inside you. You've got something important inside you. God has gifted you with a gift that is to be used to advance his kingdom and to impact the church of today. You see all these dedicated musicians and praise and worship team? God gifted them. They could be using that in the world, but they're using it here for the living God. And God will reward them for that. We all have something that we can do. It's write a card out. Encourage somebody. But you know what? If we all sit on a stove long enough and stay boiling over and on fire, guess what? It'll emerge. It'll come out of you. Because what you do is important no matter what it is. And so if you be dedicated to Him, be dedicating to being in church and doing the will of God, but start with Him, your spouse, your family, your workplace, and bring it all here and rejoice. And then together we'll pray for our country the things that need to be turned around. Amen. Can we all stand together before the Lord?